This is episode four with Ohio State gastroenterologist and health equity advocate, Dr. Daryl Gray. Do the thing that makes you come alive to impact the issue that breaks your heart. Do the thing that makes you come alive to impact the issue that breaks your heart. Welcome to the Who We Are and Why We're Here podcast. I'm your host, Greg Friedberg, a current medical student at The Ohio State University College of Medicine, and it's my mission through this podcast to help reignite the flame for those in the medical field who feel like it's slowly burning out. If that's you or someone you know, I just want to thank you for your courage and for listening today, and I'm so glad you're here, and I hope you enjoy the show. What is up, guys? I'm so glad to be coming at you all with our fourth episode, where I had the opportunity to sit down with Ohio State's very own Dr. Daryl Gray. I first heard of Dr. Gray when I joined the Med Twitter universe back in August of 2020. It's a platform that he uses regularly to help educate on important issues such as systemic healthcare inequities, social determinants of health, inclusion, diversity, minority empowerment, and just really general topics of gastroenterology and health and wellness. Dr. Gray is one of the most dedicated advocates and researchers that I've really ever met. And that's not to take away from anyone else's work. It's just more so a commentary on how devoted he is to making tangibly positive change in the world. You'll hear more about that in our interview. And let me tell you, it was a good one. Super thankful for Dr. Gray taking time to sit down with me and share so much of his background, perspectives, and passions. So, Without further ado, let's go ahead and get started and listen to the interview. Here is Dr. Daryl Gray. Hello there. Uh, welcome to the Who We Are and Why We're Here podcast. My name is Greg, as usual, your host. And today I'm really excited about my guest, Dr. Daryl Gray. Um, he is an Ohio State gastroenterologist and associate professor at the College of Medicine. Um, also devotes a lot of time to promoting topics such as health equity and community engagement. A lot of things that I really want to hear more about on the podcast. So decided to have Dr. Gray on. He's someone who was recommended to me by multiple people when I started this project. So Dr. Gray, super excited to have you here and I'll go ahead and have you introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks so much. Glad to be here, Greg. So excited for the work that you're doing with this podcast and uh, certainly delighted and honored to be a guest. Um, uh, like you mentioned, I'm an associate professor here at The Ohio State University, uh, Washington Medical Center along side uh, also our cancer center, our comprehensive uh, cancer center as well, and serve multiple roles uh, across our health system and health sciences colleges. Uh, but uh, more so, I, I like to more so introduce myself as, as a man of faith, a, a husband, a father, community advocate, and yes, a physician and researcher as well. So, um, and I bring all those roles and all those hats into my daily work. Uh, so I'm really excited about that, but also excited to share more here today. Awesome. Thank you. That's a perfect introduction. Uh, I, again, we're here to get to know you beyond just your work as a physician, obviously, and kind of dig into your passions. And I know you have a lot of them from what, from that introduction alone. So uh, let's kind of dive into it here. Um, First, just want, like, it's the standard question that you ask everyone. Why did you get into medicine? Um, Whether that be like you always knew it or you didn't kind of, where did that passion evolve for you? Well, I think the spark was first um, lit uh, by my father. My father practiced internal medicine in inner city Baltimore, Maryland, um, and as an internist, internal medicine physician. And so at a very young age, uh, this is at a time when 
you know, I could shadow him when he rounded on the wards and hospitals. Um, I could um, follow him in his practice. And, um, but also, I, you know, as, as his child was just able to see, you know, the impact he had on people's lives, uh, both in times of illness, um, but also when they were doing well. And the rapport he established with people from all walks of life um, uh, based on uh, the contribution he was able to make to their lives as a physician, but just as a man and, and man of faith, as a father, um, as a brother, as a son, uh, as a husband. And uh, that spark really, I think, uh, manifested uh, over time into really a passion of mine and, and ultimately a calling, calling for sure. That's awesome. Uh, did you go into um, like your undergraduate career knowing that that's exactly what you wanted to do? I don't know a ton about your undergraduate um, yeah. career, but where did you go? What did you study? Yeah, I left Baltimore, where I'm originally from, um, after high school and went to Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, there I majored in biology uh, with the thought uh, that I would pursue a career in, in medicine or healthcare. And um, also just with the idea, I majored in biology, not because of that, but because I was really interested in the sciences and really interested in biology. And, and that's what I thought, where I thought my greatest interest lied. And, um, certainly as, as, as I got into college and saw the different opportunities, even outside of the sciences, I entertained, at least if just in my mind for a bit, uh, thoughts of doing other things like being a math teacher, because I, I really enjoyed and was good at math. Um, I took courses in Japanese and got to a level where I was offered opportunity to go teach in Japan. Um, uh, so I entertained, you know, teaching English in Japan, you know, so I, I definitely entertained other things, but I always returned back, uh, to what that first kind of love was, which, which was around the sciences and, and the thought of me being able to provide high quality, high value care, uh, to people. And, for me, that wasn't didn't just mean care when they came into the office, uh, but similar to you know the impact I saw that my dad provided was also thinking, being very thoughtful in how I could help change and impact people's lives outside of the walls of the clinic or hospital. Um, so yeah, my my collegiate career I think continued to help me push me back and focus uh, more on that future that I saw at that time. Yeah, I definitely think that's a common pattern with people is like, as you go through undergrad, you experiment with these different things that refine what you want to do next. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's really special that you had those opportunities and obviously made you uh, stand where you are today. So thank you for sharing all that. Um, yeah. Jumping forward to your career in medical school. Um, I saw you went to Howard University. Is that correct? Yes, indeed. Awesome. Uh, talk to me. Issue, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> The talk to me a little bit about your experience there. Uh, what was it like for you? Um, maybe some favorite involvements or stories that you got from it. Really take that wherever you may. Well, you know, I, as I mentioned, I went to Morehouse for undergraduate. And for those who don't know, uh, Morehouse is uh, one of the premier historically black colleges. Um, so one of we call affectionately call HBCUs, or historically black college and universities. And similarly, Howard is a historically black um, university. Um, Howard, and one of, one of the pillars of Howard is their College of Medicine, and, and that's where um, I chose to go. Um, I, you know, I, 
I count it a blessing to be able to go from one historically black uh, college and university to another. And for me, you know, it was the confidence in knowing that I would be in a learning environment uh, that um, I felt would be like family, which, which for me, and again, this isn't for everybody, but for me, I thought it would be the best fit for me to not only be able to uh, learn and to grow as a student and, and future physician, um, but to be able to share uh, some lived experiences uh, to learn about new uh, experiences of, from people from, you know, predominantly the African di diaspora across the world um, that were my classmates. Um, um, but also to create a career, or at least envision one, at a place that is known for providing care for those who are most vulnerable in our community. And so Howard University and the Associated um, Hospital really was a shining example of that. And, and I, I wanted to participate in that. And, and, you know, I didn't go in there with an expectation, well, with, with, with any expectations around how easy or difficult or what challenges uh, may arise, but just knowing that regardless of where I went to med school, it wasn't going to be easy. Um, um, there was, I was going to get going into it. I was going to get out of it, whatever I put into it, whatever I put into my studying, whatever I put into collaborations and partnerships, whatever I put into envisioning and preparing for that next stage, which would be residency. Um, that's what I was prepared to do. And it was truly an honor to, to do that along classmates, um, who looked like me. And again, that for me, that was something that I was looking for. Again, that, I'm not saying that everybody needs that, but for me, that was important. And um, I was, uh, you know, I was also fortunate that I was uh, supported financially um, to be able to do that through scholarships, uh, attending uh, Howard. And uh, like I said, it was it, it, it was no crystal stair. Uh, it was it was there were challenges along the way, both scholastically, uh, right, just trying to, um, you know get all the information down packed, as you know, as a medical student, uh, trying to also make the grade, if you will, um, and also trying to balance, you know, having a balance between studying, pulling 24-hour studying sessions and being in the library all the time, but also trying to ensure that I had a life outside of, of the grind, if you will, uh, so that, you know, I, I, I can continue to be a well-rounded individual, so I wouldn't burn myself out, um, so I can continue to nurture friendships and, and family relationships uh, as well. So, yeah. Yeah, I have, you hit the nail on the head there. And so one of the reasons that this podcast, I even started it in the first place, was kind of what you were talking about, where it's like, I want to have this life outside of medicine, and I want to hear about the lives of people who are in medicine who still have that yeah. and maintain that peace. Um, so branching off of that, and then I want to kind of curtail yeah. back to what you were talking about with your involvement in community medicine and advocating for um, kind of those communities that are maybe less opportune than others. Um, but before we do that, I want to hear like what you did in medical school and what you maybe do now um, to kind of keep yourself sane. I know you talked about being a man of faith, a father, a husband, yeah. like things you do for fun and also just what keeps you sane. Yeah, I, I, there, I mean, multiply pronged. I think one, one thing that was important for me uh, there in medical school, same thing that's important to me today is having, um, finding a kind of church home, if you will, and 
uh, where I could continue to nurture my faith, continue to grow in my knowledge uh, of of my faith and of my relationship to to others and how to to walk in a very principled and giving and loving um, and faith walking way. And uh, for me, um, that is nurtured in being in a community of uh, like-minded individuals. And so that's why finding a church home was really important to me. Outside of that, I think establishing local friendships. Certainly, I had friends friends from college that lived all over the, the nation and could call on them any time of day to talk. Um, I could I wasn't too far from family. My family was in Baltimore while I was in DC. I could have gone there when it were called them, but it was important to also have some local friends. So nurturing those friendships, uh, you know, whether it be through going to parties, whether it be uh, through having lunches and dinners with people, um, I, that was extremely important to uh, my sanity, uh, to just having an outlet. Um, also, you know, exercising, that was extremely important. Um, those were probably some of the key things. And there were times when it was hard to fit it in, but there were times when I traveled too, which I enjoyed doing. Um, but for the most part, it was those other things uh, that I enjoyed doing outside of studying. Yeah, that's great. Um, and, and I think those are the main things that you need to prioritize in order to avoid what you mentioned earlier was that idea of burnout. And, and I, I, I'm just... Again, it's kind of where this whole podcast idea came from, and I, I appreciate you touched on on those yeah. topics. And um, yeah, uh, it kind of what we were talking about before. What I had mentioned, I want to go back to. Um, you do a lot of work um, in the community and advocating for a lot of different groups. Mm -hmm. um, and while I was looking into that behind the scenes before this podcast, it was an endless list. Whether that be like you're the, director of a community engagement and digestive health, but also with the cancer, re cancer research that you're doing and also like a huge advocate for black men in medicine. And then I also saw you're, you're like a founding member of a group for what was the association, association of, black of black gastroenterologists and hepatologists. Yeah. I saw so like that list was endless and I love seeing that. And I, I want to hear maybe about some of those passions. Um, we can take them one at a time. Yeah. Um, maybe talk to me about what got you involved in health equity and, and maybe what sort of organizations work sort of work you're doing now to help promote that? Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, it's it, that kind of interest and story begins where, where my story begins. And that's with family. I think even as I look at my own family and whether it be um, their care or, you know, frankly, mistreatment um, and through the healthcare systems that they've been engaged in, or whether it's been battle with, chronic health conditions. You know, um, my family, I, I'm African-American, obviously, but my family has um, represented one of the groups, as we look across our nation widely, uh, that has been made vulnerable by systemic inequity. And so that, that has been one of the driving forces in trying to push towards um, advancing health equity when everyone has a fair and just opportunity to be as healthy as is possible. And so, you know, I have felt that my calling was to really push us, is to really push us towards a health equity. And if, if I'm true to that, then that means that, um, that I need to bring multiple perspectives to the table. So you mentioned some of them, whether it's, you know, work um, with uh, Black or African-American populations, 
but also I work with new American populations as well. So I sit on the board of a local organization called Ethiopian Tawahado Social Services, or ETSS, which is affectionately known by, that really helps new Americans to become self-sufficient in central Ohio. And that's through youth and adult programming. And so, you know, my goal is to always, when I'm at the table, to represent the voices of those who are not, but also to advocate for those who should be at the table and are not. Um, and uh, so that's that's kind of where my diverse interests and engagements uh, really began and continue to be devoted towards, is really um, centering the margins, if you will, ensuring that um, we are working towards equitably distributing power and resources as a way to ensure that everyone has a fair and just opportunity to be as healthy as they can be. Thank you for that. And it's obvious this is something you're incredibly passionate about. I notice you also have an MPH. Um, did that kind of play into why you pursued that additional degree as well? It did. I've recognized when I was in gastroenterology fellowship, so I did my MPH after that, um, I recognized just kind of being introspective that there were some gaps in my knowledge in how to move an idea from a local program to something that could be national or something that resonates with policymakers. And so I wanted to get better health policy knowledge, more public health knowledge. And so during my fellowship, I applied for what's called the Commonwealth Fund Fellowship in Minority Health Policy. And I, I, I was um, accepted and started that fellowship, one of one, two, three, four, um, four other physicians uh, who got in that year um, to, to participate in that program. And it was truly an honor. And I use those skills each and every day in all of the work that I do. Bringing that public health lens is key uh, to this work around community engagement and advancing health equity. Awesome. Um, and and I, I love that it's something that you're that you pursued after, right? Like, yeah. it's not something that you knew all along, but kind of, I mean, maybe, maybe you did, but I did long <laughs> as you got into even fellowship, like some, so many people will be like, oh, I'm fixated in like what I can do once I get to fellowship. Well, no, there's mm -hmm. still so many other things that you can add on to your repertoire. And I think that's really special that you. Oh, yeah. I mean, found that um, opportunity. I think it's really important that that you and, and your listeners always keep in mind that it's never too late to pivot. Um, and, you know, so similarly, you know, I, I've used this, I've shared this quote with students uh, before, but it's a quote that I first heard um, at a black uh, men's summit that was held in Akron a couple of years ago. I was giving a talk in one area, uh, but everyone convened at this keynote that was being uh, given by uh, Sean King, and who's also a Morehouse man, one of my Morehouse brothers, he preceded me. Uh, but he said, do the thing that makes you come alive to impact the issue that breaks your heart. Do the thing that makes you come alive to impact the issue that breaks your heart. And so, you know, sometimes doing that or accomplishing that requires that we pivot. And so it's important that we be introspective to those opportunities and those times when we need to pivot away from maybe what is perceived as the traditional model that you go from fellowship into practice or residency into practice or, you know, so and so. I absolutely love that quote. Um, that's super powerful. I, I'm just thinking about like the reason why so many people get into medicine and it's, they see this thing, maybe like their family was impacted by cancer and the tragedies associated with that. Or like, I, I know a lot of people who are in medical school who want to get involved in the public health sector as well, because they're seeing what's happening now in the pandemic and how that's affected people. Oh, yeah. um, 
and I think that that's it exactly, right? It, it breaks their heart. Yeah. And that makes them identified as something they're passionate about. Um, so that's amazing. I, I never really, I, I like how that was phrased. I love that. Um, and, and to not to like uh, jump from topic to topic here, but yeah, I have no, a lot I want to talk about. And um, I want to ask you a little bit about obviously becoming a, a GI specialist here. And um, it's something that my class has yet to study. It's something that we actually have on the agenda for next year as we're going into M2 year. Um, so I know very little about the topic. <laughs> we, we And I would love to know maybe what got you specifically into that specialty, what attracted you there um, and, and kind of what your journey to becoming a gastroenterologist was like. Well, initially when um, I was in medical school, I think the topic and field that most appealed to me actually was cardiology. And that was because uh, heart disease was number one killer and particularly amongst uh, people of color. And um, I thought I could be part of that change. And so that excited me. Um, I pursued that in, in my residency applications and, and got my first choice, uh, which was at Duke University. That's where I did my residency. And I, I really ranked that as my first choice because they had an excellent and continue to have an excellent heart program. And, uh, but fortunately, um, early in my residency, I, I think I, one of my first rotations with a cardiac intensive care unit, and then I followed that up with a cardiology inpatient um, uh, rotation. And I recognized very early that I liked, I liked cardiology, but I didn't love it. I didn't see myself doing that as a career, doing that day in and day out. And fortunately, at the time at Duke, um, also specialists, rounded on the general medicine wards. And so, you know, I, I had the opportunity to round with gastroenterologists on my medicine rotations and then subsequently shadow them in clinic to see them do procedures. And I found, I found myself seeing myself as a gastroenterologist and really enjoying um, what they could do, but also, get, again, tying back to one of my uh, key foundational areas was um, addressing a disparity. And, you know, colon cancer is one of those disparities that unduly burdens uh, people of color, particularly African Americans. It's the second leading cause of cancer related death and it doesn't have to be. So I thought I could help change that. And that's really what sparked my um, pursuit of a career um, in gastroenterology. And it's a field that allows me to um, really think critically about patients and patient care. Um, and uh, at, at the same time, also do procedures that can be um, preventative, diagnostic, and therapeutic. Um, and so all of that um, excited me. And um, the rest, as they say, is kind of history and moving forward in that. Like you said, it's never too late to pivot there. Yeah. Um, and luckily going into something like an internal medicine residency, you, you still have that opportunity to specialize. Um, that's right. And so that, that's really special that, again, another opportunity where you're like, okay, I thought this, but then maybe yeah, this. Absolutely. Um, talk to me a little bit about um, kind of the day-to-day -day as a gastroenterologist. I, um, you talked a little bit about like doing procedures, but also clinic work. Like what, what does your day-to-day -day look like? What do you love doing the most in your profession? Anything you want to say about that? Yeah, um, I will. I'll put a disclaimer out there um, that my day-to-day -day is very untraditional and unorthodox as it pertains to those who are commonly, you know, 
according to common schedules for those who are gastroenterologists. And that is because um, given my other leadership roles, I spend 20% of my time clinically. So I have a half day of uh, clinic on Tuesday mornings and a half day of scoping Tuesday. I'm sorry, I scope in the mornings on Tuesdays, excuse me. And then I have clinic in the afternoons on Tuesdays. The other 80% of my time is split between leadership roles, whether it be through our cancer center, whether it be through the medical center, or whether it be through funded, NIH funded uh, research work. So um, I enjoy all aspects of that. And as it pertains to patient care, what I enjoy most is listening, um, hearing people's stories and helping them to find opportunities uh, for wellness, whether it's helping to think about lifestyle changes, whether it's implementing a new medication regimen, or um, if it's doing a procedure that provides them with a diagnosis and a clear treatment plan uh, to help them on a journey towards well-being. Um, I enjoy that aspect. I enjoy the procedures, uh, being able to use my hands um, to whether it's prevent a cancer from ever happening by removing polyps or whether it's to diagnose an early stage cancer so they can be treated and cured. Um, I enjoy that. I enjoy being able to take this expertise out into the community and to make it plain and simple for people who have no medical knowledge to understand about why it's important that they are proactive about their health, why it's important that they take their digestive health seriously, why it's important that they participate in cancer screenings, um, but also to serve as a liaison between health, the health system um, or faculty, doctors, physicians, nurses, nurse practitioners, and the community um, to be a bridge and help to foster relationships that are mutually beneficial. I enjoy all of that, but I think what I enjoy most is being boots on the ground in the community, helping to develop and co-develop strategies that populations can lead healthy, so that populations can lead healthier lives. I think that's most exciting. Yeah, I, the craziest thing about that, you mentioned it was like 20% of the pie is your clinic time. And then mm -hmm. you can tell like that 20% still means a lot to you. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's that's exciting and to, to know that like you still have that energy to put into what, I mean, from the outside looking in would be a smaller piece of what you do every day. Yeah, um, absolutely. I love that. Um, and kind of on the topic of those other things that you've been, that you do, the other 80%, um, were those things that you slowly kind of went into? Were you initially when you started like 100% clinic time and then gradually kind of expanded outwards? How did you yeah. start getting involved in those projects? What, it definitely evolved over time. So when I first came in, part of my negotiation was to negotiate some protected time um, over a three-year period that would allow me to get the grants, that would allow me to build the relationships that would be key in this, in this field of what I wanted to do around community-based work and community-engaged work, and particularly research and, and outreach and engagement. And so when I first started, I was about 70% clinical and 30% um, protected time for research and community engagement. However, with um, wins and successes along the way, I was offered more opportunity, more leadership roles that bought down that clinical time. And then it flipped to where I had more kind of leadership protected time um, and research protected time uh, than clinical time. And so it was just an evolution over time. But I was, um, I was sensitive to negotiating for some protected time when I first started. 
So I, I did not start at 100% clinical when I first started. That's awesome. And obviously, knowing that you would expand into those roles and all those research projects, I'd love to hear maybe, and you don't have to give a yeah. very comprehensive summary of them, but what are some of the projects you're currently involved in or maybe that you've done in the past that you um, are really proud of or that you just care to share about? Well, I'll, sh- I'll share one. Um, and that's and, and there have been multiple. I'm cognizant of the time. I don't want to, I don't want your listeners to fall asleep while they're listening to this, but there's one that's incredibly exciting. Uh, that we should have some data coming out very shortly. It's a, a program uh, that we affectionately call Black Impact 100. This is uh, really a uh, research project that was co-designed with our community partner, the National African American Male Wellness Agency. Not only was it co-designed by them, but we also leveraged partnerships with other organizations such as the American Heart Association, American Cancer Society, um, uh, Franklin County Public Health, Columbus Public Health, Healthcare Collaborative of Greater Columbus, Cardinal Health, Ohio Health, and, and the list continues to go on. But it was a program by which, you know, our goal and the agent, the way we found a mutually um, agreeable area of focus, which is around Black men and trying to reduce premature death am- amongst those Black men. Our focus area was really trying to increase the attainment of what's called ideal cardiovascular health. And the American Heart Association has put a framework around this called the Life Simple 7, which includes seven factors that if we can get into the ideal range, we see that it reduces the incidence of cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and cancer, things that many of us are passionate about. And so we designed this program, co-designed this program, by which we would have 100 men who would be grouped in teams and also provided with a community health worker, a health coach, and over a 24-week period would be provided a weekly exercise session, again in teams, but also an educational session to talk about topics not only that cover health, physical health, such as preventing diabetes, such as um, getting enough sleep, uh, mitigating stress, um, but also thinking about holistic health, mental health, thinking about financial health and wellness. Um, And we covered all that in 24 weeks, but we also we navigated people to getting primary care. We uh, helped identify and then traverse people beyond social determinants of health barriers that impede their well-being. We engaged them in discussions around the importance of diversity in clinical trials and why they needed to be champions of diversity in clinical trials. And what we've seen, and we're, again, we're, we're just starting to write up this data. Not only did we improve their biometrics, so improving their blood improving their blood glucose, improving their blood cholesterol, their body weight, um, their diet and nutrition, their exercise habits. But we see they have meaningful relationships with physicians. We were able to address, again, social determinative health barriers, but they're also being champions in their communities around diversity and clinical trials. This is something that hasn't been done. You know, we, we had done a systematic review before embarking on this grant funded program through OSU, the Connect and Collaborate grant mechanism. And that systematic review, to put it simply, demonstrated that one, there was not a lot of good high quality community-based research that was focused on uh, ideal cardiovascular health amongst African-Americans. And there's really nothing that focused on African-American men. So our successful results, we hope, will be scalable to larger uh, populations outside of what we've been able to demonstrate right here in central Ohio. To me, that's incredibly exciting. 
you can tell how excited you are about it. I mean, it, it really comes off. Um, and that, that, I mean, obviously a project that you're probably incredibly proud of. It sounds like it integrated a lot of different components of like your passions, right? Oh yeah. Um, so that's really special. Thank you for sharing Thanks. that. Yeah. Um, and then kind of just to be cognizant of your time, I want to yeah. start kind of rounding back to um, your story and the things that you enjoy doing. I know one thing that I, one way that I also have kind of kept up with what you do, I know you're pretty involved in the uh, platform Twitter. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and like once you kind of gravitate into the med Twitter space um, as a medical student, you get to know kind of these people who are actively involved in not only student lives, but mm -hmm. in societal lives and, and these issues. And you're someone who is really involved in that. So tell me about what compelled you to get into that space and maybe some of the people and topics you've been able to discuss yeah. through um, capitalizing on that. Yeah, I think, you know, as a medical student, as a healthcare provider, it is incredibly important to be engaged in social media for multiple reasons. One, um, if we think about those who are serving our patients and our community members, um, most of them search for medical information, not just in your office, but even before they get to their office, they're looking online and they're engaging on social media to find answers. And a lot of times they find unreliable, unvetted, inaccurate information. And so you can be part of the community that's providing reliable, trustworthy information um, to your patients and to your broader community. So I found that as an incredibly powerful tool. The other piece is that, you know, those of you who are engaged in science, disseminating knowledge, a new, new knowledge and innovation, it is a powerful way to share that information quicker and to a wider audience than just waiting for someone to pick up the journal or to look up. PubMed and find what's happening in that field or area that you're writing in. Um, you can, you know, as I think about the papers that I've written that have gotten the most attention, it's likely largely because of uh, advertising on social media and Twitter um, and, and it being shared in that fashion and then getting a lot of uh, readership that way. Um, so I think it's incredibly powerful there. It's also good for building community, building a community of people who, uh, of like mind, but also those who are not of like mind that can facilitate your learning um, in other topics. Um, so, you know, I have networked with peers and colleagues, and that has manifested in us co-writing papers together. That's manifested in us presenting at conferences together. That's manifested in invited talks. That's manifested in paid opportunities. Um, so I, I think there's so much... Um, great. I mean, amidst all the trolls and negative things that we see in regards to social media, I think there's also very great opportunity to leverage that powerful tool for good. And I can definitely see that you've been involved in that space and just like scrolling through at Ohio State, a lot of physicians like you, um, you see the sorts of things that they're posting that now students start to engage with very early on in their medical career. Um, I think that's really cool because it exposes them to like these projects that maybe we wouldn't really find out about unless we were specifically researching them. It, it wouldn't really pop up on our timeline as easily. We'd have to go yeah. out of our way to see it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I appreciate that you're involved in that space. And again, oh, yeah. it's one of the ways that I found out about you. So, um, and it's a, you know, it's a way that we can get diverse perspectives and see the diversity within our workforce. You know, certainly there's, you know, we want to highlight that there's a need to, for it to become more inclusive and more diverse. And, you know, hence myself, Dr. Capers, many others, um, you know, pioneered the Black Men in Medicine kind of uh, Twitter and, well, really social media because we do on Facebook as well, social media campaign 
to really grow awareness about the need for increasing the presence of black men in medicine and improving the pipeline uh, for, for black medicine and medicine, men in medicine. But really that goes for other causes as well, um, whether it be advocating uh, around social justice, uh, whether it be you know advocating um, for anti-racism, um, it's a powerful tool. Yeah, and you mentioned Dr. Capers there. I actually was lucky enough to have met him when I was interviewing for medical school at Ohio State. Um, I deferred a year, actually. Um, yeah. So I was in his last, um, the last class that he was able to serve on the uh, as the dean of admissions then. Mm. And he's one of the people who got me really excited about Ohio State because he uplifts all these people and he just empowers people to he just really puts them in the spotlight and says, like, look at these amazing students that are doing amazing things. And I think that's something you do really well, too. Um, oh, so that's you. one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on is you really are someone who seemingly empowers so many um, and really likes to lift people up um, and, and find ways to help them. And, and so I really appreciate that about you. Thank um, you. Of course. Um, and, and with that, um, as we come down to the end of this podcast, um, these are the questions that I ask every guest that I've had thus far um, and that I'm going to continue to ask every guest. Um, and, and also, wait, before I say them, I want to yeah. say that like your answers to all these questions, so Dr. Gray said off camera that he did not look at the questions, had nothing really prepared. And I said, eh, just like be yourself, be casual, whatever. <laughs> Everything you talked about so far was incredible. I, I oh, think that <laughs> it didn't sound scripted, but also didn't sound like lackluster in any way. I really appreciate that. Um, and I'm sure that whoever listens to this will as well. Um, just thank you for sharing all those perspectives. And, and the last two questions, I'd love to hear what you have to say as well. Um, the first one is, is just tell me who you are in three words. And those words kind of uh, pertaining to like an ER word. So I'm a dreamer. I'm a doer. I'm an asker. Like whatever that means to you. Um, and even if it's not one of those words, that's okay. Um, but who are you in three words and why? Whoa. Um, yeah, that's a hard one. Um, I guess the first thing I'm going to say what the first things that come to my mind are, and they are three L's. So I'm a learner. Uh, I'm a listener and I'm a lover. And I mean that in the most professional of ways, um, to, to mean that, um, you know, as, as I mentioned at the outset, I'm a, you know, I am a man of faith. I'm a father. I'm a husband, and so I bring that um, ex lived experience around how to love um, to my interactions with my patients, with uh, my community, with my students, uh, with my peers and colleagues. And so I, I think bringing love is a critical moral determinant of health. Uh, that we need to have in our workplaces more. Um, and and I, I say, um, I think learning was the first thing I said. Um, learning because, um, and listening, those two kind of tie together because I, I feel like um, having an empathic curiosity has allowed me to build relationships, allowed me to see impact um, locally and abroad with some of the work that you know, I've co-designed with peers and, and community members um, has allowed me to be an effective physician, um, researcher, and community advocate. 
Um, so I think I would say those three. I don't know if I would if I had more time to think about it, if I would say those three, but those are certainly the first three that that come to mind. And that's okay. I mean, and that answer could change tomorrow. It yeah. could change in an hour. But I think that's I think those are three really powerful ones. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um the last question I like to ask is imagine that you're writing a letter to your younger your younger self. Yeah. And that could be at any point, whether that be when you were in medical school, when you were an undergrad, when you were a kid, whatever it is. Um, what does that letter say and why? And just like a main takeaway message, not the whole letter. Um, mm. But what does it say and why? Mm. I think, um, I think the letter, it may even be a brief letter, but I think a main emphasis of the letter would be protect your time. Time is priceless. Um, once it's gone, you can't get it back. Um, you know, it's, it is more valuable uh, than money, than dollars you can put towards or try to put towards it. Um, and it's easy as you uh, traverse your training and certainly in your career to get pulled in multiple directions to, to, um, to fulfill a lot of what is asked of you. And in the asks will come, the opportunities will come, the being stretched may come. And so it's really important, important to center around what your priorities are, what you're most passionate about, um, and to be very clear on things that you are not willing to do or that you don't want to do or that you're not willing to give up your time for. Because if you don't protect your time, you're more likely to burn out. You're more likely to be unhappy. Um, you are more, uh, you're likely to be less innovative because you don't have the time to think. Um, and so, and you'll just feel stretched. Uh, fortunately, I, I feel like um, I got better at saying no to things further along in my career. I wish... You know, I had said no earlier to some things, but I, I do feel incredibly blessed that I have not um, succumb, if you will, to time limitations. Meaning, I have not, I have not uh, felt limited in my innovation. I have not felt um, completely burned out. I have not um, damaged relationships. I don't think um, because of lack of time, and I've I've been able to be present at home with my family. Um, but I learned that over time. Um, and so I would say protect your time. That's an awesome thing to end on. Um, because that's one of the, again, one of the reasons I created this is I want to know, like, what did you do outside of medicine that made you, you? Um, because medicine is a, a big portion of all of our lives. So for those listening, if they're medical students and for you, obviously too, but um, obviously when we started off, we heard about all the things that you did outside of that. And that's, I think that's really special that you've made an effort to protect that time for those people and those, for, for those passions. So, um, Dr. Gray, that's all I have. I, I think, so um, yeah, I, I, I know that was a lot that we covered in 45 minutes here. Um, I want to respect your time here, but if you have anything to say before we, uh, sign off here, um, now is the time to say it. Um, but thank you so much for being here. I just want to say this was an awesome interview. I really enjoyed getting to know you and I, I look forward to seeing you throughout the rest of my medical school career too. 
Uh, thanks. I, I um, appreciate sincerely the opportunity. I hope, you know, through all your podcasts that, that your students and peers get to, to learn from it. I'm just happy to play one tiny role or part in this hopefully very successful series of podcasts that you have. You know, if listeners would like to continue to follow uh, the work that I'm engaged in, certainly feel free to engage on social media um, at DM Gray. That's D-M-G-R-A-Y. M is in mother D uh, at DM Gray MD. Uh, and I look forward to seeing you out there in the, in the Twitter sphere. Awesome. Thanks, Dr. Gray. All right. You have a great one. You too. And that's a wrap on my interview with Dr. Daryl Gray. What an amazing guest he turned out to be. And now I can see why multiple people had recommended him to me when I first started this project back in January. I'm so impressed by him and the work he's done across all spectrums, be that advocacy, activism, research, clinical practice, or community engagement. He's just a guy who's so incredibly intentional with the time that he gives to the things he believes matter most. And that's what I loved most about our conversation and something I truly hope that our listeners will take away from our conversation as well. Thanks for listening as always. Feel free to share any thoughts, feelings, questions, or feedback you have. And yeah, I'm just looking forward to an awesome summer full of more interviews just like this one so that we can continue to remind ourselves every day who we are and why we're here. Thanks, guys.